0: Well, it's a joy to be together. I was reading this week on something that Leganair puts out. Ligonier Ministries, that was the ministry attached to R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul has since went to be with the Lord, but Ligonier continues to go on strong. And every two years, they put something out called the State of Theology. And the State of Theology is a survey that kind of helps uncover the state of maybe evangelicalism. And they take this survey every two years to kind of take the spiritual temperature of the United States to equip the church with answers. And these are questions that they pose to the confessing evangelical community. And if I'm just honest with you, the survey... (laughs) doesn't look good at all. And and again, a survey is a survey. I understand that, but it gives you a little bit of a thermometer of the condition. Statement number three, how would you answer the question? Here's the statement. Um, God accepts the worship of all religion, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. How would you answer that? He accepts the worship of all religion, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Well, hopefully, we've been studying the Gospel of John, and we know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He made an exclusive claim. We would agree with that. But the finding of that statement was 51% of the people surveyed agreed with that, that he accepts the worship of all religions. These are people in churches, Christian schools, and so forth. Statement number 11, how would you respond? Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. The finding was 52% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. I mean, that's just concerning. (laughs) If you don't have a right view of sin, then why would... You have a need for the gospel. 52% agreed with that. It flat, flatly contradicts the Bible and teaches the Bible that teaches the corruption of every human being, declares Romans chapter 3 that no one is good by nature. On an encouraging note, evangelicals overwhelmingly agree with statement number 13. What would you state at 13? God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Christ. We would agree with that, and the finding was that 91% agreed with that statement. That doesn't really surprise me. We so focus on the grace of God, and rightfully so, so focus on the righteousness of Christ i would think that most true pastors would and church leaders do so that's a good that's a good thing 91% but that was followed if you will down somewhere statement number 6 how would you answer jesus here's the statement is the first and greatest being created by god he's the first and greatest created being or first and greatest being created by God. 78% agree with that statement. Wow. As though God created him. I don't know what John 1, 1 is in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word, what? Was God. He was in the beginning, nothing has come into, into being that has come into being apart from him. He's not a created being. Certainly he entered into life in flesh and blood in the incarnation but he always was he said that I am and so it's amazing that 91 percent agree with the righteousness of Christ alone praise God but 78 percent agree that he's the first and greatest created being by God and so while most evangelicals believe in justification by faith alone they're confused about the person of Jesus Christ In fact, that is a heresy, that statement that I just read earlier, that is espoused by a heretic by the name of Arius in the early centuries of Christianity. What would you say with statement number 20? I suppose I'm preaching to the choir, although I think this is what people believe. Here's the statement. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. It's valid. Just stay at home. 58% of the evangelicals agree with that statement. I mean, you're here. Praise the Lord, you know. But I, I think that would be true in many people's case. I think it is true. I think it's true in our community. Statement number 30, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth personal opinion, not objective truth, 60% of the evangelicals agree with that. It's amazing. I mean, I spend my life trying to be a broker of objective truth, but for many evangelicals, it's a matter of personal opinion. Listen, if you have that view, just let the high schoolers go through high school thinking like that. And then when they end up in the university system, we'll understand why in some denominations they lose 80% from graduation of high school to to the next year. They're just completely gone from the church. I mean, the survey reveals that many people do not understand the holiness of God, the reality of sin, the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know that it's so vital that we get our Christology right, right? We, we desperately need a word from the living God even this morning. It is so important that we get what I would call our pneumatology right. Pneumatology is just simply the word for the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're about ready in this church as I get back a few weeks to embark on the study of the Holy Spirit in John 14. We'll begin even this morning, and I just can't tell you how personally excited I am for that. I, you know, this is my first time teaching through John. You know, some people think, well, hey, Scott, you've been teaching through John all your life. No, I'm in search and discovery every week with you. I just get there before Sunday, right? So I'm just thrilled about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is such a confused, mystical, synchronistic thought today that. We're not even quite sure what the Holy Spirit is or does. But I just say at our church, we want to get our Christology right. We want to get the doctrine of pneumatology right, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'm just so excited to be studying that. Well, if you would take your Bible, look in John 14 as we continue in our exposition of John's gospel and here in John 14 as we've looked the last weeks, our Lord is. Desirous of giving hope to these disciples before his departure. Shea read the text this morning. Jesus, you remember, is in the upper room. Uh, I keep saying that the last few weeks. He is in the upper room with his disciples. It is Passion Week. It is particularly Thursday night. He is just hours before the cross. In fact, he may just be making his last statements to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has already betrayed him. Judas has left the building. And Jesus kept telling his disciples, I'm going to leave, and where I'm going, you can't come. Put yourself in the midst of their shoes, if you will, to walk and talk with the Savior for three years. And now he says, I, I, I'm going, I'm leaving. And then he would say right in front of them at the last supper to Peter, listen, not only will you not follow me, you'll deny me three times before the night's out. And and that's their their peer-to-peer leader. And if Peter's going to defect, at least at that point, then what will become of the rest? So the question would be, as we walk through John, what does Jesus say to these Bewildered disciples in the midst of turmoil in the midst of the chaos in the midst of his departure And what does he say to you even this morning? Blake prayed earlier that the Lord would give us hope and he does give us hope He gives us hope in this passage. So we've been studying together 14 1 through 14 and we're looking at five declarations that provide hope In the midst of human chaos, okay? Five declarations. We've looked at the first three. First, he declared words of comfort. He told these disciples, you see it, remember that, in 14.1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe God, believe also in me. In other words, don't be troubled, and here's why. I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, what hope to them, what hope even to us, that where I am, Jesus said, you may be also. He's declaring to them this, these words, if you will, of comfort that he's leaving, but he's preparing a place. And we said he's not going to start a construction business. He's going to prepare the place, and the going there is by virtue of his death by virtue of his resurrection, and by virtue of his ascension, by virtue of his work as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's preparing the place for us. He did it all. And then secondly, that place that he goes to led in the second declaration to wondrous claims. That I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Exclusive claims. And we looked at all of that. That is all online. You can hear that. And then thirdly, he declares where we left off the wonder of his character, his oneness with the Father. And we looked last time together that there were two signposts that revealed, if you will, his character. They were his words, and they were his works. And together, they reveal the deity of Jesus Christ and the oneness with the Father. Now this morning, where we're heading is 12 through 14. I just want to get it out there and then we'll pick it back up. The text is moving us. I want you to see this flow from the words of comfort, let not your heart be troubled, from the wonderful claims that he makes that I am the way, the truth, and the life, from the oneness that he shares with the Father to the mission that he leaves with the disciples, to the mission... That he leaves with you this morning. Uh, I would like to say, although sometimes it's overused, that we are a missional church. If you're here this morning uh, and you're part of our church, then we want to be on mission. We want to be on purpose, if you will. We want to be on point. And so he's moving us from comfort, claims, character to this fourth declaration. And here would be the question. How did the disciples carry on without him? How do you carry on without him? Maybe never even at that point seeing him. How can they be empowered if their leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, is moving to his Father? How can they be empowered to move forward with the gospel in his absence? And here's the text in 12 through 14. He provides, he supplies the power needed for the disciples and for you to carry on the mission. Now that power is going to be displayed in these final two declarations. Let's look at those together. First, Jesus, and that would be number four, declares a wondrous consequence. A wondrous consequence. He's leaving. And in this declaration, not only comes out comfort, claims, his character, but consequences because of his departure. Uh, Look at verse 12. It's a stunning statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. That's a stunning statement. They will do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. I mean, if you and I are just reading and listening at face value, that is a stunning statement. That is an incredible statement. They're gathered in the upper room... And he says, you, to the disciples, the 11, will do what I have been doing. And you will even do greater works than I do. Now, the works there predominantly are miracles. They're signs in John's gospel. Now, you'll notice there, and I don't want to get too technical with you. But the verbs here are in the future tense. This is a post-resurrection ascension promise. They're futuristic verbs. Just look down again in verse 12. Whoever believes in me will also do, will also, future, verse 12, do greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. He says in verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We we understand. Now, what could this mean? What do you think it means? I think there's some people in certain movements who believe that the works are just the same today. And I'm just reasoning with you. I don't have like a lot to say. Of course they're not the same. Nobody has ever done the same. In fact, how many miracles do you think Jesus did in the Gospels? I mean, you're probably thinking they're all miracles. 36. Okay? How many did he do in the book of Acts? I think 21. So you can't say they're going to do greater works. And we'll talk about. But what does he mean by that? That you're not only going to do these works. But you're going to do greater works. Let me say this though. Initially. The promise was to the apostles. The disciples did do mighty works. Look at Acts chapter 5. You can turn there. I think it comes up on the screen next. Is that. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, regularly, recorded, I think, 21. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that even they carried out the sick into the streets and laid on them cots and mats, that as Peter came by, imagine this, at least his shadow might fall on some of them, and the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And here's what I want you to see. They were all healed. All of them. So listen, they did works. In the book of Acts, there's a transition from the gospel to his death, to his resurrection, to ascension, to the power of these apostles. They did miraculous signs. In the book of Hebrews, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So we knew that in that transition period, miracles, signs were given to the apostles. But primarily here in John 14, our Lord is not addressing the disciples' miracles. For even the disciples couldn't eclipse the miraculous power of the Son. I mean, we're just reasoning together. What, What does this mean? I mean, did anybody ever pull a guy out of the grave after four days where he had stinketh, called Lazarus? That was never performed. Could anybody just take the loaves and the fish and multiply them and feed fifteen to twenty thousand? No. Okay. Could any one of the disciples ever walk on the sea on his own initiative? Peter did for a moment, but then he. But Jesus did. Could anybody ever turn water into wine? The brilliant New Testament scholar D.A. Carson rightly contended that in John's context, this would be right. Greater works cannot mean, number one, more works. It cannot mean, number two, more spectacular works. Or number three, it cannot mean more supernatural works. What's he getting at here? Well, of course, the answer's in the word. Back up just for a second. Let me just say this preliminary. In verse 10, what are the greater works? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father is in me? Watch how he does this. This is a play on words. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his, what? Works, interesting. There, the works are not the miraculous There the works are associated with the words and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he talking about greater works? And by the way, this is for you today. This is not a history lesson. It is. But what are these greater works? Well, as we always study the Bible, we're in the context. What's the context here? Well, he's in the upper room. It's Thursday night. He's preparing the disciples... For his departure. And he's preparing his disciples for the coming of the what? The Holy Spirit. Okay? Look at 14 verse 16 with me. He said, and I will ask the Father once he dies, sins, so forth. And he will, future, coming, give you another helper to To be with you forever. We know that, that the helper, the parakletos is the word, is the Holy Spirit, sometimes translated the comforter. I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. Glance down at 14, verse 25. These things have I spoken to you that I am still with you, but the helper, and he identifies him, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We'll get into this in the future, but certainly one of the greatest characteristics of the Holy Spirit is to teach you all things. And that directly to the apostles. That means that what the apostles penned is through the agency of the Holy Spirit. But he... Holy Spirit is a teacher, I think we've got him today as a force. We've got him as something mystical. We've got him as something um, uh, only spiritual. It is the Holy Spirit, but we'll look at that as we move forward. But here in the context, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Follow the logic here. As a result of his departure, departure to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit in a matter of days... And the disciples, here's the flow, will not only do the works which Jesus did at a point in time, miracles in the physical realm, but they will do greater works, namely miracles in the spiritual realm. So when he talks about greater works here, in the context of that phrase in 1410, I don't think it's greater works of power. And I'll explain this, but greater works of scope, greater works of extent, greater works of the worldwide spread of the gospel, the greater works, and I'll demonstrate this to you, is the miracle of a changed heart. The greater works is the conversion of a soul. The greater works would come in history, if you will, through the proclamation of the word of God, anointed with, if you will, the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and righteousness. In other words, beloved, because of his departure to the Father, the Holy Spirit comes in a new way. The Holy Spirit releases power to the disciples. It releases power to you. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us to bear fruit and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Let me show you just what I'm trying to demonstrate. Look in your Bible, turn to the book of Acts. I think you're going to see this. In the book of Acts, a transition took place, and we know that from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ to the early church. But do you remember in Acts chapter 1, look there, in verse 5, here, Luke says, he's writing a book in 1-1 to O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do until the day he was taken up. And so there's, until his ascension, and he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Interesting. And then in verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you, future, will be, in this next chapter, baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now, so they're waiting, if you will, after his death, after his resurrection. Okay, he will ascend here, but they're in that room waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Glance down in chapter one, in verse fifteen. It says there, in these days, Peter still before Pentecost stood up among the brothers. Now this is interesting. The company of persons was not all about what? One twenty. Now, now to me this is interesting. At least at one point in the gospel he sent out seventy. But now after his death, after his resurrection, there's one hundred and twenty. Glance down at chapter 2, verse 33. Again, a statement on the coming of the Spirit of God. He said, being therefore exalted, again, after his resurrection, after His, he's exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You remember when the Holy Spirit came in chapter 2, they begin to speak in tongues. And what was a tongue? Well, a tongue was an ecstatic speech. So what was it, Scott? Well, it's real easy to know what it was. Look at chapter 2 and verse 8. How is it when the Holy Spirit came that we hear each of us in his own native what? Language. Tongues was the ability of language. Given to the people who had gathered at Pentecost to understand, if you will, the power of the gospel going out. And so the Holy Spirit came, chapter 2, okay? It was promised that the Holy Spirit would come. You say, well, what happened when the Holy Spirit came? Look at chapter 2, verse 36. You remember Peter's preaching, let all the house of Israel know that for certain that God has made him both Lord. And Christ, by the way, he's not only the Messiah, but he's Lord. And he should have first place in every one of our lives. I'm just telling you that. If he's Lord, does he have every dimension of your life, even this day, submitted to him? That he's both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, verse 36, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and many other words he bore witness, interesting words, That he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Here's the key. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about what? 3,000 souls. I'm just telling you, that's a greater work. That's a greater work. A miracle is a miracle. Phenomenal, the, the, the supernatural entering into the natural. But the purpose of the signs was to authenticate the power of the word of God. When Pentecost came, when it was anointed there with the preaching of the word, 3,000 people were saved. Go over to chapter 4 in verse 4. Watch this. But many of those, when Peter and John were before the council, 4-4, four, four, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about what? five thousand. This powerful extension of the gospel is made possible by the phrase that Jesus said in John 14, because I'm going to the Father. This, beloved, is the consequence of his departure. It is only after he went to the Father that the Holy Spirit would be sent to the disciples to you to empower us for mission. You are the residence owner, if you will, of salvation. And part of that is the Holy Spirit will be in you, as it will say in John 14. So he, the consequence of his departure is this. Let me explain this. Jesus works and his ministry Have you thought about this? We're limited to a place. Some of you might say, yeah, but what about that time where he healed him from a distance? I I understand. He, He could heal from a distance, but they were still talking to him, and he sent the servant back, and his boy had recovered. But his ministry was limited to a place. But when he went to the father, The Holy Spirit was made available to all the disciples in all the world at all times. In fact, the Holy Spirit was not sent until our Lord returned to his Father. You say, how so, Scott? Would you look back just for a moment in John 7? Let me just show you. He had to be sent to his Father, did our Lord Jesus, so that the Holy Spirit would come. Do you remember in John 7 when he was talking about the rivers of living water and it says in 737 on the last day of the feast the great day he stood up and cried out if anyone thirst let him come to me and drink now look in this in verse 39 out of his heart in verse 38 flow rivers of living water 39 and this he said about the spirits whom those who had believed in him future were to receive For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was not yet glorified in his death. And remember, we took the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ to speak of all those events, death, resurrection, and ascension. He had to die. He had to be raised. And he had to ascend. Then it said the Spirit would come. Look back in John 14 just for a moment. Look in John 14. The, the, in other words, the greater works is the power coming to the disciples, both in transition into to us. But remember in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father. We touched on that. He will give to you another helper to be with you forever. That must have been encouraging. He's leaving Physically. But I'm giving you the, the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Look at verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, by the way, it's not mystical. The spirit not only is the teacher, but he's the spirit of truth, which he said, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. I love this. For he dwells with you and will be, what? In you. In other words, he's departing, but the one I'm sending is going to live in you. He's going to take up residence in you. And beloved, that's why when you sin and when I sin, you can quench him. You quench the spirit at times. And so what do you do? You have to confess your sin. In fact, I always know I'm a Christian. You've heard me say this, not because of what I do right, but because of when I sin, the guilt that comes to me because the presence of the Holy Spirit taking up residence in me won't allow me to live in a continued state of sin. Look over at John 15 in verse 26, the coming of the Holy Spirit. In 15, 26, he said, but when the helper comes, he keeps pointing to this, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, I love this, He will bear witness about me. In other words, the chief operation of the Spirit of God is to bear witness about the person of Christ. And we've made it something mystical, something synchronistic. Where the Holy Spirit is in operation, he's bearing value to the truth of Scripture. And he's bearing value here to the truth of the person of Christ. Look at verse 27 when the Holy Spirit comes, 1527. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In other words, you apostles wait because something's going to happen internally when that Holy Spirit comes to you. Look over at chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, it's a huge statement. I tell you the truth. This is what Jesus said. It is to your advantage that I go away. Wow. Why? Here's the wondrous consequence. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, here's another operation of the Spirit of God. He will convict the world concerning what? Sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the chief operations of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin, to convict people of the righteousness that they need, that they don't have, and judgment for the coming day. I mean, I, I, you've heard me share this when I was, came to Christ. I've told you that. I was out shooting baskets at my house. I was 14. And I just, I don't know how to tell you this. it just overwhelming conviction In my heart, James 2.10, forever keeps the whole law, stumbles at one point, he's become guilty of all, and I was just cut to the core of my being. Before, I was a jerk, never thought about my sin, but all of a sudden, in one moment, in one time frame, in one three-point shot, I was like, I kind of looked around, I thought, what is happening I was cut to the quick in my heart. You say what'd you do? The only thing I could do. Went in my house got down on my knees and I confessed Christ. You say what is that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I you know I can tell you I went in my house got on my knees. But I'm telling you there was such an overwhelming conviction about my sin. Where did that come from? It comes from the word. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now you might say, well, Scott, is he speaking this to only the disciples? Look back in John 14. I don't think so. You can read it with me in fourteen twelve. Truly, truly, in other words, amen and amen. Here's a serious statement. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do like you, this morning, like our church this morning. So though Jesus would depart from the world, the wonderful consequence is that he sends to you the Holy Spirit to accomplish the greater works. The greater works are not necessarily that of miraculous miracles, but here it is in the scope and the extent of the proclamation of the gospel going to all the world. Let me put it this way. Have you ever thought about this? For three and a half years, Jesus never set foot outside of Palestine. That might shock you, but he never set foot outside of Palestine. He was locked and loaded in that area on your Bible map, okay? But as soon as Acts comes and the Holy Spirit comes and the church is started, the gospel goes throughout the world to the point in 17.6 of Acts these men have turned the world, what? Upside down. And so now the Holy Spirit empowers you to participate in the proclamation of the gospel. Let me put it another way, the greater works. At Peter's preaching, at Pentecost, we just read in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 believers were added in what? One day. That is more than the entire earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. It's not to minimize Christ. He told us it would be this way. In other words, he's filled you with the Holy Spirit. He's filled you and declared hope to you in this wondrous consequence that as I go, I'm not locked and positioned in one place at one time. He sends us out throughout the whole world. The greater works is the conversion of souls. It's the miracle of a changed heart. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is the wondrous consequence. He releases the Holy Spirit. And as you go unto all the world, the world is converted. And I would say to you, Christ and the Holy Spirit are active today. You say, is God active? Sure, he's active. He's active with our women this week. They're listening to the Word of God being transformed by the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit. But just for a few examples, I was just talking to my son, Johnny, who works up at Hume. And Johnny's got a wonderful job. He gets to preach the gospel, and then he gets to travel all over the globe. He just got back from Papua New Guinea. In Papua New Guinea, they did three things. They brought all the missionary kids all together from Papua New Guinea, flew the kids in from whose parents are translating the work from all the different islands, and they did a junior high camp, and they did a high school camp, just what they do. But Johnny said one of the highlights was, was to go in the jungle. I said, what are you talking about in the jungle? Johnny went into the jungle where translators live in Papua New Guinea. This particular family has been translating the gospel in one of the tribal languages, and they were doing it for nine years and it took him nine years, and Johnny was there a year ago. And Johnny said they were just working on getting the gospel story, the narrative of God as creator, man as sin, Jesus Christ as the one who would deliver. It's a gospel story as they translate the scriptures. He went last year, and he got back this year, and he goes, Dad, I couldn't believe it. I said, what? He goes, it's one of the most exciting things I saw. Last year, we just landed on the airstrip in a small plane and hiked for hours up into the mountains, but this year, we were greeted by 50 people. He said just in this year, once they got the translation of that tribe, 50 people in Papua New Guinea have come to Christ. I mean, it was just, he said it was life-changing to witness a family giving nine years, and last year, nothing happened, but as that translation came in that gospel story, He said there were 40 to 50 people. It was, he said, just a wonderful work of the Spirit of God at work. Look, and that's in Papua New Guinea. He's releasing us to go unto all the world. What a privilege, thank you, that I can go to Uganda. All I know is 16 years ago, nothing existed in this church and village, and now this church and village is being transformed. They've got three hundred kids in their school who are being instructed, both in uh, learning but instructed in the scriptures. Shannon's got a church of three to four hundred people. He's expecting two thousand people at the opening of this celebration. All I know is you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. I was just thinking of when Corey and Christine were here a couple of weeks ago, just a few years ago, remember at nine o'clock over there in the Generations building, there were just four teenage boys in the city of Pokerdets. All I know is four years later, if you were to go there, there's a church of 150 people. These are the greater things. The greater things is not the power of a miracle. The greater things is the release of the Holy Spirit filling you to tell people. And I'm asking you, are you sharing with anybody? I can't tell you what an encouragement this has been to my own heart. I'm walking now on Draper Street last week, and she might be here. And I was in one of the stores, and her name was a Bible name. And I said, oh, that's a Bible name, because I'm walking around thinking the Holy Spirit lives in me. He breathes in me. He wants me to be holy in my life, and he wants me to share. And I had a wonderful conversation with her about the gospel. Listen, if you're in our church, you need to be on mission. If you're in our church, you need to be sharing with somebody. If you're in our church, who do you got identified at the holidays coming up? Or is it just the same old, same old with all the cousins and all the family? At some point, we need to be active in our penetration in this community and around the globe, and praise the Lord, he's given each of you The Holy Spirit. You say, Scott, why would you say that? Look at verse 12. I say to you, whoever believes in me, do you know the Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you walk with Christ? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And I think the works here are the works of gospel proclamation, both in 10 and 11 of 14, as well as the release of the Holy Spirit. Listen, he's active. He's at work. I called somebody a month ago. I don't know, three weeks ago. It's a friend of mine. Um, He's up in Fresno. He's an elder, and I've known him over the years. And his wife passed away. And I just wanted to call him and pray with him and comfort him. His wife had cancer. And and so as I called his home, he's an elder up at a church. And um, I ended up talking to his son And as soon as he heard my voice, and I forgot that I had met him one time, he began to weep. And I thought, I hope I don't have that effect. Just when somebody hears my voice, they begin to weep. But he became overcome with emotion. And I said, how are you? He goes, Scott, listen, my mom's in glory. He goes, but I just want to thank you 20-some years ago you were preaching at Grace Community Church on Ephesians 2 about the power of God. And he said, God, and I had no idea this. He said, God used that sermon and the proclamation of the word by the spirit to open my heart and redeem me right in my seat. Now listen, I didn't know that. I don't know what goes out from this place, and neither do you know how the Lord's going to use you, but you need to open your mouth. You're a supernatural, disciple filled, uh, empowered disciple that should be telling others about the good news. This is the greater works, it's the gift of salvation, it's the miracle of salvation. In fact, you should have seen Tyler Tartalia two weeks ago, just speaking about the love of this body of people who just kept loving him when he kept doing drugs and alcohol. He said it just—he said it overwhelmed him because people who loved him were talking to him, declaring, "I'll tell you that is the miracle that took place inside that young man's heart." Amen. Listen, the greater works, certainly the disciples did some of those. Just, they were all healed, as it said in Acts 5. But the greater works is the works of conversion, and Acts proves that. I'm just reasoning with you. 3,000 people were saved in one day, and at the most, we can find 70 people following Christ at the end of His earthly ministry. Three years. It's not to minimize Christ. It's to recognize that it's to your advantage that He goes to give you the Holy Spirit. I just pray Have you lost your passion? If you're an adult and you're in this church, I feel led to say this, you need to be opening your mouth. If you're a young man, your family ought to see you sharing the gospel with people. If you're a single man or a single woman, at what point, at what place do you have contact with outside this body? I just pray, and so many of you are doing that, keep going, but for some of you, you say, well, Scott, what can I do? Recognize that when you came to Christ, he put inside you the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who's causing you to be holy, causing the person of Christ to be magnified, elevating the spirit of truth. Listen, these are the greater works. Church history would prove that. Do you realize from the point of Pentecost and the next 300 years of Christianity, it closed nearly all the temples of the Roman Empire and Christianity numbered its converts by the millions. That's the greater works. And it's it's done down through the centuries and it continues today. And so by his departure, the apostles will not only do the greater works of the miracles, certainly in the book of Acts in the physical realm, but they'll do greater works, if you will, the miracle in the spiritual world of salvation. The implication here is regeneration. The implication is new life. What do you think about the guy that had been born blind who had received his sight from the Lord? Do you think he's more thankful for sight that he received from the Lord? Or do you think that he's been in glory for 2,000 years and one day at the second coming he's going to get a new body? Do you think the woman who was healed after 12 years of internal bleeding, she comes up to Jesus, she touches the fringe of his cloak, and the best I can understand it, the gospel said Jesus' new power went out of him. Like What that was, I don't know. Was it kind of like... Zzz? Yeah, I don't know. He just knew, and he turned around, and he said, who touched me? And the disciples, you know, the kind of the, they were some, somewhat knuckleheads sometimes. What do you mean with all these people? Who touched you? And he looked at the woman, and the woman came to him and dropped on her knees. It was me. I've been bleeding for 12 years. And he wanted to find who she was because he said to her, woman, your faith has made you, what, whole he healed not only the internal bleeding and all the money that she had spent at countless doctors, but he healed her soul because she just believed if she touched Christ, she would be healed and she got the better miracle, eternal life. Listen, I'm just reasoning with you. We make a big deal today, some people do, in denominations about the miracles, but I've never seen anybody do what Jesus has done, just go out and clean out a hospital. I've never seen somebody come back from the dead that was recorded in real event, but I will tell you this, that inside you, he's gonna illuminate this book for you to make a difference. You know, some of you, I'm I'm being really honest here, maybe there's something in our community that we haven't done and we haven't started. You know, some of you are coaches on soccer teams and football teams. Listen, live your testimony, but speak that out. Maybe at Christmas time, instead of putting all your family together at every function, maybe sometimes include someone who's not part of that. I, I just don't ever want us to get so comfortable. So he says, here's something of these greater works. You say, Scott, do I have a little bit more help on the way? Yes, there's a fifth and final declaration, okay? Um, a fifth and final declaration, and it's this. Uh, you know, I just paused right there because my, my time is up. I'm going to pick this up. There's too, it's too important. What did he mean? Here's the fifth and final declaration is a wondrous capacity in prayer, where he said in 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he says it a second time, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It is the fifth one, the promise of a wondrous capacity. He said, if you pray... Conditioned by in my name, I will do it. This has been so freeing to me. If you don't feel like you have the resources or the power or you don't have the personality to open your mouth, one of the things you can do is he's given you a wondrous capacity that if you just pray, he will do it. There's four conditions here. We'll pick that up the next time. But if you're praying in his name, then he is going to do it. So if I'm praying this morning, Lord, the ladies have already had a wonderful time. Lord, do it again this morning. Transforms hearts. Transform lives. Father, would you be glorified through the Son by them being together? He's going to do it. What, what are you asking God for? Maybe you see something that you want greater, um, you, you want to you, you see your life grow in greater proportions, or you want to open your mouth, or you're an elder and you wanna open your mouth, or you're a pastor, and you wanna open your mouth, listen, you can just start praying for this wondrous capacity. And I'll tell you what it means. If you pray in his name, it doesn't necessarily mean if the football team's praise, you're gonna win. So we'll talk about that, okay? Because these are confused verses. But I'm gonna come back to this, but this is a wondrous capacity here. A wondrous capacity. He's saying, even though I'm departing, You now have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have this capacity in prayer. In fact, a friend called me. I talked to a friend last night who pastors at Compass Bible Church down in Elisa Viejo, and they were on a staff retreat this week, and a 34-year-old pastor whom they just hired walked into the bathroom at this hotel and just fell down dead. Leaves behind a wife, leaves behind two kids. That service is going on today. Now listen, I have enough belief in the scripture that if we're praying in his name for this woman to find comfort, for these kids to find comfort in the person of God, I'm praying that that church would come alive today, that the people would come alive so that the Father would be glorified in the Son. Listen, here's the declarations of hope. You say, well, Scott, maybe I've just been... uh, too long in this thing and I'm not changing. Listen, find a way to change. Find a place to plug in. Go to men's equippers. Go to the women's Bible study. Go to one of our six equipping classes. Share your sin with somebody, but get some help. He will help you through the Spirit and by this wondrous capacity in prayer. Can we pick it up next time? I'm excited for the Holy Spirit and what's going to happen in the life of our church.